The following episode may address content and material that could be upsetting for some audiences. Listener discretion is always advised. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Classic City Crime. I'm Cameron J, and I want to express truly my sincerest gratitude to each of you, truly from coast to coast, who have joined us on this storytelling journey to seek justice for Beth Buchanan and her family. In episode one, we heard from her mother, Julie, her father, Tim, sister, Claire, and partner, Asa, about just how much Beth meant to each of them. And we learned, yes, how she impacted the lives of those around her through her compassion and her intellect and and her deep desire to serve others. The family has truly been on my heart this week as Tuesday, February 13th of 2024 marked one year since Beth's unjust, tragic death. Now, if you've not had a chance to listen to part one, I encourage you to go back and do so now. This week, though, I'm going to admit is where things and the content start to take a turn and things get a little more difficult. We're going to look back together at the events that took Beth from us and the whirlwind of setbacks that her family faced not only in the immediate aftermath of the tragedy, but still to this day. We know that Beth and her mom spent the weekend of February 10th, 2023 exploring the classic city together. They visited that Athens moon tree, which I went to for the first time in Beth's honor this week. They had brunch and dinner and even talked about Beth's bright future with her partner Asa. But in the early morning hours of February 13th of 2023, Beth Buchanan in her Kia Soul was taking her dear mother back to Hartsville-Jackson International Airport so that she could fly back to California. Now, for those of you who are local to Georgia or the Athens area, you know that it takes, well, on a good day, about an hour and 25 minutes to get from Athens to the Atlanta airport. But on the way, something would go terribly wrong that would change the Buchanan family forever. We'll now return right to where we left off as Miss Julie takes us back to that car ride that would end in unspeakable tragedy. So we we left Athens and we were driving toward Atlanta Airport and talking. Um, I'm sure there was some music in the background mm-hmm. quietly. And we both saw something at the same time. There was what looked like a reflection or a weird light. It looked like it was along the side of the road on, on to the left of us mm. and I could see some like it, it I could see this overall shape of white and in a split second realized it was a car that had part of one headlight and was coming toward us I mean when I say a split second I don't even I don't even know that it was that probably not even time to say anything really Oh, no, yeah. no, mm. because where we, <clears throat> where we were on the road, it suddenly appeared. It's as if like a light just appeared. I think we had a slight curve 
and the partial light was not in the middle of the road it was on the side so because it was coming toward us and it was from the driver's perspective the right headlight part of it was lit but the left one was out so actually thought it was a a, you know something off the highway Mm. when i think back and i remember recognizing that she and i saw it at the same time like there was a an intake of breath but no words and she turned the wheel as fast as she could and um i could feel the impact and then we stopped and i said Beth, and i looked at her and i said are you you alive and i touched her she wasn't moving but i thought she had to be I was able to reach my phone and I called 911. And when I was talking to the dispatcher, I said, my daughter is not responding to me. And she asked me to look for a, you know, check for a pulse. And as I was doing it, someone came up to my window. Now, I warned you, this one is truly going to break your heart. Miss Julie, I know you're listening out there, and I want you to know that I cannot imagine the strength that it must have taken for you to share these moments with the world. Thank you. What Julie Buchanan was unaware of in her brave act of trying to dial 911 from the car was that 911 dispatchers had already been alerted that something was wrong on Highway 316 in Winder. Dispatchers were informed moments before the impact that someone was driving on the wrong side of the road. According to the police incident report obtained through an open records request from the Barrow County Sheriff's Office, quote, On February 13, 2023, at about 0308 hours, Barrow County 911 received a call reporting a wrong-way driver on University Parkway in the area of Patrick Mill Road Southwest. Moments later, a call was made to the 911 center for a head-on collision. Deputies of the Barrow County Sheriff's Office were dispatched and located the crash in the area of University Parkway westbound and Patrick Mill Road southwest, end quote. We'll read through the rest of that incident report more together in a moment, but for now, let's return to Julie's account of that early morning collision. The person who came up to her window in those wee hours of February 13th was an off-duty police officer who had arrived to help. And as you can imagine, her number one concern as a mother was not about herself. It was about the safety of her daughter, Beth. But it's important to note she too was seriously injured in the collision. As she was processing what had just happened, she heard something, a voice, that still haunts her a year later. He said he was an off-duty police officer, and I said, I'm, I'm worried about my daughter. And he asked me to get out so he could access her. I don't, I don't know, I don't know mm-hmm. why that was needed, but I got out, and I know there were other passerbys. I could hear them and I called them over because I heard them talking to the other driver. I heard him. I heard his voice. And it, it, yeah, I can hear his voice. 
Mm. And I can, it didn't seem to be distraught. It seemed like he was okay. And the ambulances got there quickly. Someone was talking to, I mean, the off-duty police officer. I was out of the car on the side so he could check up back. And I just remember saying, but, I, you know, but my daughter. Mm. They were putting me on a stretcher. And I'm like, but, I, but my daughter. And they said, there's another team working with her. We'll learn more about the driver of the other car soon enough. I tend to like to focus on Beth here. But for now, I want to introduce you to Lieutenant David Whitty of the Barrow County Sheriff's Office. His experience speaks for itself, and it would prove vital in keeping this case moving forward. So my name is David Whitty. I'm a lieutenant with the Barrow County Sheriff's Office. April of this year will be 19 years I've served with all of Barrow County. Um, I spent the majority of my career on traffic enforcement from, I believe, 2008 on to about three years ago. I was on a traffic unit and slash in charge of a traffic unit. Um, I moved from the rank of deputy to sergeant to lieutenant all underneath the traffic unit. During my time on the traffic unit, um, it was kind of split up in different divisions. I was assigned to the DUI task force for about nine years. It's where I actually spent the majority of my traffic enforcement career specializing in primarily DUI drugs. Um, I'm a international chiefs of police uh, certified drug recognition expert, which means I'm basically I'm a DUI drug expert. Once I got promoted to lieutenant, I um, began, uh, I guess, diving pretty head on into accident investigations. Started out as a sergeant, um, learning about accident investigations, but once I really got into it deep was once I became a lieutenant. And at the time, I had several guys working for me where I just supervised and worked a few on my own, but mostly supervised the uh, accident investigations. Once, you know, manpower kind of thinned out, uh, two of my accident investigators had left. Uh, one retired, one moved on to another career, and I became the sole accident investigator for Barrow County um, as far as when it comes to serious injury or fatality crashes. You hear Lieutenant Witte talking a lot about investigating car crashes related to driving under the influence of either alcohol or drugs. Why? Well, because that is exactly what happened in the early morning hours of February 13th. It's the reason a car was on the wrong side of the road, the reason Beth and Julie saw that small white light headed for their car without a moment to react. It's the reason Beth's case is much more than a tragic car accident, but instead is a severe crime that was what? Absolutely preventable. Now, Lieutenant Whitty would go himself to the scene that night. When I got the phone call from our 911 center, I'm on call for serious injury and fatal crashes. Um, the night shift supervisor that arrived on scene believed the crash was serious enough to call me in for the investigation. So that's how I actually came to learn about it was I got woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning and by our dispatchers telling me, hey, they, they need you to respond to a serious injury, possible fatality crash. As soon as I get on scene, I literally see one car that's in the median, which ended up being the suspect's vehicle. Um, and then Beth's car was off to the other side in the grass. And the, I still remember pretty vividly the engine block from Beth's car was in the middle of Highway 316. Wow. Um, I mean, it, he, he tore through her car. Um, it was, there was debris everywhere. We had that side of 316, which was the uh, westbound side of 316, completely shut down. 
is because of cars everywhere. Well, debris from the two cars everywhere. By the time I got on scene, they were both still there. Um, all three of them were still there. Beth was still inside the car, um, deceased at this time. Julie was actually sitting beside the car. I kind of remember her calling out for her daughter, asking how her daughter was doing while the EMTs were working on her. While they were working on her, I went to go check on the other driver, um, obviously because I could tell who was at fault. Um, it's a divided highway, and it's pretty easy to tell when a car is going the wrong direction. So uh, I went to go check on the other driver. For one, to go ahead and find out what I need to start doing for my investigation. Is this just going to be a simple mistake of a wrong-way driver, or is this going to be impairment involved, distraction involved? Um, the guys on scene told me that they, <clears throat> they suspected impairment just based on the smell of an odor and alcohol coming from him. I got over there to the, um, the suspect's vehicle, and he was actually still entrapped in the car, um, and they were cutting him out of the vehicle when I got over there, so I kind of just stayed back and let them work. He really didn't verbalize a lot about the crash. Um, he was in a lot of pain, so he was screaming more about his broken legs. Um, he was screaming about his legs hurting, get him out of the car, uh, stuff to that nature. And so he really didn't say much about the crash. I didn't really ask him about the crash at that point because uh, preservation of life comes over that, and EMTs are working on preservation of life at that point. Yes, you heard that right. Beth's life was taken from her. Her mother seriously injured, and the person responsible was concerned about his own well-being, nobody else's. I want us to now, though, return back to the rest of that incident report obtained from the Barrow County Sheriff's Office. I think it really helps to paint a picture of just how devastating the scene of the collision was. And you're now going to hear the person responsible's name for the very first time, but I'm not going to get bogged down talking about him just yet because he truly doesn't deserve that credit. You'll learn why soon enough. The report is written by Lieutenant Whitty himself, and it verifies exactly what he's just told us. The document continues, quote, Deputy Parr was the first to arrive on the scene. Deputy Parr went to check on the drivers and located a male driving a white Chevrolet Camaro first. The driver was later identified as Cesar Rodales Macias. He was entrapped in complaining of injuries. Deputy Parr then turned his attention to the other vehicle, a silver Kia Soul. Inside the vehicle, he located two female occupants. The first was the driver, Beth Buchanan. She was deceased. The second was her mother, Julie Buchanan. She was alert and talking, but complaining of injuries to her stomach. Due to the natures of the injuries, I was requested to come investigate the crash. Prior to my arrival, both Julie and Cesar were loaded in the ambulance and about to be transported to the hospital. I met with Sergeant Wright, and he told me that he spoke to the at-fault driver, Cesar, about what happened. Sergeant Wright told me that Cesar admitted to drinking alcohol and provided a breath sample for a handheld Alka sensor. The Alka sensor provided a positive indication of alcohol on Cesar's breath, 0.141. Based on the details that were told to Sergeant Wright about bar hopping, Cesar's cell phone was collected as evidence and a search warrant will be obtained to search the contents of his phone for evidence of impairment. Deputies on the scene had two witnesses stay on the scene and they provided written statements. Both statements said that the Kia was traveling westbound in front of them when it was struck by the Camaro. Both originally thought that the Kia had just exploded due to the impact. All the evidence indicated that the Camaro that was being operated by Cesar was traveling eastbound in the westbound lanes of University Parkway when it struck the Kia. 
The crash caused serious injuries to Cesar and Julie, but ended the life of Beth. End quote. We're going to talk more about all of this later, but it's worth noting here that the legal limit for alcohol is 0.08. The driver of that Camaro, which struck Beth and her mother, blew a 0.141. It is truly maddening. As the lieutenant pointed out, though, the first role of first responders at the scene of a car wreck, regardless of how or why it might have happened and who might be responsible, is to save the injured. Beth's mom would be transported to a hospital in nearby Gwinnett County to undergo several surgeries for her injuries, but not before saying goodbye to her daughter on the scene. I remember before... I got out of the car. I kissed her and told her how much I loved her and kissed her hair and, mm. and hugged her. And I kind of remember, I remember being in the ambulance. I remember telling them that it hurt and asking about her. Mm. And then I remember a little bit of going into the operating room. Mm. I remember the doctor saying things and them apologizing when I took off my rings. Um, I'll tell you, I've never had to ask anyone these questions because the cases I typically deal with are so, so different. So to have someone that was there is, you know, new space for me. So I, I'm going to try to be as sensitive as I can in asking these two questions. But um, the first one is, was it, you know, one of those instances where you're so worried about Beth and how she is that it took you a moment before you even recognized that you yourself had some pretty bad injuries as well? Yes, because mm. I, I was ahead. always conscious. I didn't lose conscious. And I all I all I could think about was her. And I kept thinking, well, if I'm okay, if I'm conscious and I can do this, she's just passed out. Mm. Mm. She's just, you know, knocked out because I didn't see anything visible mm. on her and she couldn't be gone because she was Beth. Right. Mm. She was Beth. <laughs> that was impossible. What might have broken my heart the most in these moments of our conversation was thinking about the fact that Julie was in an unfamiliar place. She was far away from those who loved and could comfort her in this moment. And Tim, Beth's dad, was still back in California. Her sister Claire was on the West Coast. Tim, like me, is a night owl, but there was quite the surprise when the phone rang at 1 a.m. California time on February 13th. Was it a wrong number? Or was something terribly wrong? I'm kind of a night owl, so I was still up, you know, at about, oh, it was about 1 o'clock our time, and watching, uh, well, probably watching an old movie or something, and um, the landline phone started ringing, and I figured there, uh, I, I should probably know who that is before I answer it because it could very well be a wrong number at that hour and when the voicemail came on it said something I, I heard something about Georgia but I couldn't make it out and it was and I was sitting there trying to figure out and I looked at the phone when I went over there and it said something like northeast Georgia or something it was not specific about what coming from what mm. or who it was coming from 
And while I was sitting there trying to figure that out, my cell phone rang. And it was somebody at the Northside Hospital. It's called Northside Gwinnett Hospital in Lawrenceville. And they said that Julie had been taken, that there was a car accident, and that Julie had been taken to the ER there. And so, you know, of course, my <laughs> my heart and stomach now are coming out coming out of my, my mouth at that point. I can't I imagine. Trying to figure out, oh, my something horrible has happened later i found out it was somebody who was in the chaplain's office or something but Mm -hmm. he didn't say that he just said he was with the hospital and he wanted to let me know that julie had been brought there and she was being worked on and she went into surgery and of course i'm trying to find out as much information as i can and he's he didn't have much he clearly it was he clearly was not a doctor or a nurse or anyone who was you know there it was it was just i'm just letting you know that, that she's here but at this point tim had only been informed of one thing that his wife was in serious condition undergoing surgeries like any father would do he began to ask the tough questions where and how is beth I said, well, if she was in a car, there had to be other people in the car. So I was asking about Beth. I said, was my daughter in the car with her? And if so, what happened to her? Where is she? As soon as I brought up Beth, he got he got real rushed. And he it was clear that he wanted to get off the phone. Oh. He didn't say anything. He just said, I don't really know. I think there were other people in the car, but I don't really have any information on that or something like that. So I had I got off that call with knowing nothing about Beth. So the whole thing was just kind of this whirlwind of, you know, just confusion and, you know, very incomplete information. And then then I was having to wait because I didn't have any they didn't give me any numbers to call and it was just now I'm just sitting there of course, just crushing under, you know, this this horrible... Gosh, I can't imagine. ...the weight of this information, you know, that obviously it was a very bad accident or she was immediately going into surgery and, you know, not knowing what happened to Beth. And I didn't know, you know what maybe Asa was in the car too. And, you know, who knows what, what what's what's going on with, all, with them, you know. And, and it was just horrible sitting there and just not knowing at all and then eventually the phone my cell phone rang again and it was i it was it was one of the deputy sheriffs who had been responding on our responding officer at the scene of the accident and he told me you know again he he also focused on julie julie was taken by ambulance to and he told me the name of the hospital because i started you know of course i want to write that down and mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'd already written that down from the first guy, but I, I said, all right. Um, so anyway, I, I was trying to get as much information. So how, how is she? What's her condition? You know, obviously she was, she was taken there. He didn't know quite know what the injuries might be, but she may have internal injuries. He, he couldn't quite 
speak to to what they were that kind of thing but um and and of course i'm uh, i at least know something about julie but i still know nothing about beth so i said was my daughter in the car and and he said what's your daughter's name and i told him and beth buchanan and he, he, there was a pause and then he says unfortunately beth didn't make it and of course now i'm just crushed You know, as I put this episode together, I started thinking about how hard it is to imagine the whirlwind of emotions Tim Buchanan must have felt in that conversation. You know, he had to try and balance the need to find out everything he could about his wife's condition, but he also had to continually press to find out what happened to his daughter. But now, he knew. Beth had not survived the crash. Julie was injured. But there was one more person in the immediate Buchanan family who had yet to learn of the fateful events of that morning, Beth's sister and best friend, Claire. Tim would make that tough call, a call he'll never forget. Before I got on the plane that morning, I had to make the hardest phone call of my my life, which was calling Claire. And uh, that was, that was just devastating. So she was killed really early in the morning, um, Eastern time. And so my dad waited to call me. He very intentionally didn't want to wake me up with this news. But I remember he called me at like 7.28 a.m. my time and my alarm goes off at 7.30. And so when I when I heard my phone go off, I, I rolled over because I thought it was my alarm. And when I saw it was my dad, I, my heart sank. Like usually my dad wouldn't call me at such an early hour. And so I, I picked up the phone and initially he was just telling me about he said there there was an accident um, in Georgia. Uh, Beth and mom were in the car, and he initially was telling me about my mom's whereabouts. So he was explaining that my mom had to have emergency surgery, that she was in the hospital, that there was a lot of confusion over which hospital she was in. There was a lot of confusion over how to contact the hospital, and. Um, he, he was telling me about this for quite some time and I just remember the whole time like thinking well if, if he hasn't mentioned Beth yet then surely she must be okay um, but then he paused and he said um, the worst news of all is the news about Beth mm. and I just remember, I, I said, I, I just kept saying no. I said, no, no, no. Mm. I, I felt like I, I was in some horrible nightmare and like I was imagining all of this. Um, and 
uh, yeah, he, he told me she had been killed, she didn't make it, and he mentioned he was a drunk driver, um, and I just, after that, like, I, he, he tried to then go back to, to mom and trying to help give me the phone number for the hospital and all of that, but I just, I was terrified from my mom and the the news about Beth just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't process anything he was saying after that. And so I told him I had to leave and I, I just remember sitting there um, feeling like, I don't know, like it just feeling like it couldn't be, couldn't possibly be true. And that I just remember the room was spinning. I felt dizzy. I felt like, and at the same time, like it felt like my world had just fallen apart, but I also felt so frozen. And I remember even saying out loud, like, I I don't know what to do. Before we go any further, I do want to thank Miss Julie, Mr. Tim, Claire, Asa, all of the above for sharing these raw emotional moments with our listeners. I can assure you these conversations weren't easy, and from my perspective, the questions were not easy to ask. But they're all so important, in my view, to understanding the gravity of this situation and understanding as we move forward how one person's poor decision can truly alter the landscape of a family forever. Tim made arrangements to fly from California to Athens as soon as he could, and While waiting at the airport for his flight, he was informed that Julie's surgeries were successful and that she would survive. A welcomed relief, I'm sure, in the face of all that was lost that morning. And Claire would soon join him at her mother's side on February 15th. But as the family was making their way to Athens to be with Julie and to mourn the loss of Beth, there was one person who was close by someone whom the family of Beth Buchanan has grown to love. That person was Beth's partner, Asa. So I woke up that morning knowing that Beth was supposed to be on this, you know, very early morning trip. They got up before three. Julie had an early morning flight. So I didn't, I texted her in the morning, but I didn't expect to hear from her for a couple hours Mm -hmm. um, because I, I figured she'd be sleeping in after having done that early morning run. So having her not respond wasn't a, a red flag immediately. It wasn't until later in the morning that I started to get a little worried. And then at that point, I got the um, a phone call or a, a text from Claire, who's Beth's sister, asking me to call her. And from that point, I just learned that, that there had been an accident that uh, and Beth had been killed and Julie was in the hospital. And so the focus from that point was just First of all, feeding Beth's cat and then getting to the hospital. And I just remember like a just dread. Just a feeling of dread the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think I was at that point had processed it. So just trying to get there and see what could be done. I really do think this moment speaks to Asa's character, right? And you can truly see that his love for Beth certainly transcended what happened on the highway that morning. He immediately went to be at Julie's side, knowing other family members would have to travel to be there. And 
I just think that he is truly a remarkable young man for taking that on. So, Asa, if you're listening, thank you so much for your heart and your continued love for Beth and her family. Tim Buchanan arrived to be by his wife's side and remembers the relief to find her conscious upon entering the ICU room where she was being cared for. But that relief would not last long because Julie began to wonder. She began to ask questions. Questions about Beth. They um, took me straight to the ICU and uh, I saw her and uh, and she was conscious. You know, she she raised her, her hand and, you know, it was, you know, she, she, it was good. I mean, because she was able to recognize me and all that. And she kind of asked me at one point um, on Monday night, but she was very groggy and still very heavily medicated from the surgery. So it didn't seem like a good time because I'm, I didn't know if, if she would even really, she didn't really ask me point blank. She just, she just kind of wrote down on the pad something like, I'm, I'm worried about Beth, uh, but didn't ask, didn't mm. specifically say what, what. Oh, goodness. So I, I just kind of held off. I didn't want to go there unless in, in, you know, in the medicated state she was in. It just didn't seem like a, a, a good idea uh, at the point, at that point to just bring it up. So I just held off and, Tuesday evening, she did, and she just point blank asked. I mean, she was asleep a lot, mm-hmm. as best as you can in a hospital. But, but finally, she just wrote, is Beth gone? Question mark. I'm worried. And um, and uh, that's, you know, of course, then I had to tell her. Julie herself recounts these first few days in the hospital, her mother's heart needing to know the fate of her precious daughter. She remembers knowing that Asa was present, followed by her family. My first memory after the first surgery was a nurse telling me that Asa was there. And he held my hand for hours. And I, have, I was intubated, so I couldn't talk. And I thought, well, if, if Ace is here, Beth must be okay. That was what I kept trying to tell myself. So I remember Tim arriving. I remember some of the brothers, my sister. I remember our, our pastor, Dustin, being there. And sisters-in-law and I remember writing on I was using the back of the nurse's clipboard and I finally wrote asked him to go buy a a notebook because I was writing a lot Mm. and the next day they were waiting for me to go to a second surgery and I I kept writing Beth's name and I don't I know I demanded an answer and they didn't want to share it right before the surgery. Mm. That too. And I couldn't believe that it was true. I it didn't add up. And I just kept thinking that maybe there was some confusion about where she went. 
Julie Buchanan would continue to heal in that Gwinnett County hospital. But there was another person in another hospital who had much more serious actions to account for. His name was Cesar Radales Messias, the drunk driver who crossed a median and killed Beth Buchanan. Detective Whitty's investigation was just getting started, but he remembers making two important hospital visits, one to Julie, of course, in Gwinnett, but the other to Cesar, the offender, who was also in serious condition at an Athens hospital. Knowing that the suspect went to Athens, uh, or Piedmont Athens Regional first, or that, that hospital, I went there first. Um, because for one, I gotta, pre- I gotta preserve my evidence if there's evidence there. So once I got to the hospital, I don't remember if I walked in there and he was still being worked on or if they had just rolled him out for um, to get x-rays and CAT scans. But I remember walking into the trauma room and I could just smell the odor of alcoholic beverages in that room. So I mean, based on that, based on the stuff that I had, um, they told me they were rushing him into surgery right after CAT scans. So I knew there was nothing else I could do at that point to gather any more evidence. So from there, I drove to Gwinnett Medical to go speak to Julie, which was pretty difficult to get when I got to that hospital. When I got there, one of the hardest things is when I got there, the, the nursing staff at the hospital told me that Julie does not know that her daughter has passed. So they asked me if I wanted to go talk to her, and I declined to go talk to her because I was not going to be able to look a mom in the face and lie to her and tell her that her daughter is okay. Mm. And they told me with the extent of Julie's injuries that she didn't need to get upset. Mm. So I just told them, I was like, well, I, I – don't wish to speak to her, but I do need to speak to somebody for an emergency contact, and that's when I was able to get in touch with her husband by phone. And that was a, that was pretty rough on me to, not, not to be able. I didn't want to go in there and talk to her because I did not. I just I, there was no way I was going to be able to lie to her. I was like I, I didn't want to go in there and get her upset, obviously because of her injuries and making them worse. But I just I didn't want to have to go lie to her and tell her that you know her daughter. I don't know her daughter's condition or her daughter's okay. I, I wasn't going to do that. I asked Beth's family what was their reaction when they discovered that this was much more than a tragic accident, and I think Julie's response warrants a listen. She always knew. I don't know that I ever didn't know that he was under the influence. Oh, really? Because I I could hear him. Hmm. I could hear his slurring. I want to end this episode the way we always do by returning the focus back to Beth. Beth's life was honored in a memorial service at University Presbyterian Church in Fresno, California. Her mother by then was able to attend with the entire Buchanan family, and I'm going to play for you now just a few short excerpts from Beth's memorial service, where friends and family gathered to remember a life, though so short and taken so soon and so tragically, was still a life well lived. We gather together today to celebrate the life of Beth Elaine Buchanan and to give thanks for the love and the joy that she added to all of our lives. If someone asked me how to describe Beth in two words, my response would be, how can I just give you two words? Beth was such an incredible woman for just two words. We all listen, but something special about her was that in every conversation I had with her, I noticed that she listened with her eyes. I would look at her eyes and I knew she was 100% there. 
It is difficult to express the impact Beth made on my life since I don't remember a time before her. She is with me in my favorite memories. She is the reason I got through my worst moments, down to my understanding of sarcasm, discovery of Vampire Weekend, love of theater, and the library card I got three months ago. It's all Beth. One amazing gift she had was that when you left a conversation with her, you'd leave you'd leave trusting and loving yourself more. For her academic interests, Beth said she planned to have many opportunities to conduct research, to work towards a doctorate, to become a professor and conduct breakthrough academic research in linguistics. It's so surreal to imagine Beth as anything but the psych major. And it makes sense that she switched to psychology after a whole half of a semester in linguistics. When I think of Beth, I will always be reminded of her love for life and family, despite being the most goal-oriented and career-minded person I know. She never failed to prioritize the relationships in her life. She was the very best friend and roommate a girl could ask for, and I will always cherish our memories together forever. On the day Beth died, I was getting some support from a friend on a phone call. And this friend said, I didn't know Beth well, but the impression I got was that she was someone who was born on third base in life and spent all her time trying to get everyone else there as well. And while I don't think she would have appreciated that sports analogy until later when the Astros won the World Series and she jumped on the bandwagon, <clears throat> I figured it was an apt description of her character. As Beth's youth pastor during high school, which is the period of time in her life I've been asked to reflect on, I had a privileged seat, the front seat of many a 12-passenger van driving around the state of California, with which to watch her wrestle with what I think was the central driving question of her life that she began to understand then. How do I make life better and worth living for others? This question was influenced by the life and teachings of the scriptures that we'll read in just a few moments, specifically. And it was expressed through the uniqueness of Beth's own personality and her experiences. And part of what makes her loss so tragic is that we never got to hear her tell us her final answer, which I know would have been absolutely stunningly brilliant. So Beth applied for graduate school at the height of COVID, so she didn't even get to visit any of the campuses she applied to. It was all done virtually. But despite not meeting anyone in person, she made a big impression. She was a hot commodity on the PhD student market, tell you what. There was a lot of buzz behind the scenes about people who were hoping that Beth would come and work with them. So as you can imagine, I was thrilled when she decided to come and work with me. 
And I remember it vividly in, in true Beth fashion, being very thoughtful. She scheduled an email to send to everyone at the same time, the acceptance email to me and the declining to everyone else. She sent it at five o'clock on a Friday because she, she didn't want anyone to hear you know, through the grapevine. She wanted to hear from her. So I got that email and I responded, wow, you made my weekend. But it was so much more than a weekend made. It was a year and a half. Um, Beth was a dream student. She was so wonderful to work with. She was unbelievably smart. She met all of her deadlines. She did everything she said she would. And she, she understood research in a way that was so wise beyond her years. When Beth was small, she would often introduce herself as Beth, just Beth. She felt the need to do this because people would often assume her name was a nickname for Elizabeth or Bethany or even Mary Beth. No, she would respond, my name is just Beth. I have thought of this often since Beth died over two months ago. Yes, her name was just Beth, but she was anything but just Beth. She was Beth, a name with only four letters, but a name that carries so much magnitude, so much meaning, so much presence. Beth, who I see in every stray black cat, in every owl, in every wildflower. Beth, whose absence has left a gap that cannot be filled. Beth, my sister, my beloved sister. Beth, my best friend, my oldest friend, my first friend, my forever friend. Beth, who I love, who I will always love. Beth, who is anything but just Beth. Beth. You now know about what happened on that highway between Athens and Atlanta on February 13th of 2023. You know that Julie Buchanan was gravely injured, but she would survive. You know that Tim, Claire, and Asa, all who loved Beth, were forever changed that day. And you know that Cesar Radales Messias was also fighting for his life after taking the life of another. But there's more. You would think this would be an open and shut case based on the evidence, but there is indeed a reason why Beth's case and story made its way to this podcast. Lieutenant Whitty's investigation was just taking off. He worked hard to gather evidence and secure warrants, and he was ready to make an arrest, but there was one problem. The next day we went back out there to go serve the warrants, and he had already fled. The investigation, the continued search for a fugitive, and how you might be able to help us bring justice for Beth next time. On Classic City Crime, I'm Cameron Jay.